Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Pleasant Street. It's good to see all of you today. Many of you are looking more casual than, than usual. Uh, and, and you found us, right? You, uh, we did our best to try to confuse you and make church as difficult to find as possible, but uh, there's no pulling one of you guys. You're smarter. Uh, for those of you who are visiting and have no idea what I was just mentioning, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you with us. Today is our congregation church picnic, and we were supposed to be doing this out in the woods uh, at a place in Oxbridge about a mile from here called Fairwoods. Uh, that is still happening. We're having uh, fellowship and coffee and food, uh, lunch, I mean, at Fairwoods immediately after the service today. And so if, if you just came and you are new to all of that and you're going to get hungry, uh, you're welcome to join us. It's at 116 West Hartford Avenue in Oxbridge, I think. That's the right address. Um, but please do join us. We would, we would love to have you. Um, and for those of you who, who did get the news that we were worshiping here, thank you for making the change with us. Um, obviously, it's turning into a nice day, but earlier this morning it was a little bit dicey, which is difficult for musical equipment, right? So, but because we are inside, I wanted to do what I could to try to make this feel like the woods. So, <laughs> just imagine yourselves in a grassy field with those and maybe some taller ones too. Um, we are going to run the worship service together today that we had planned so we can simplify and we're glad that you are with us today. Uh, that being said, we do not have visuals for us today. We are live streaming so welcome to those of you joining us online. Our songs are going to be following the song sheet that we gave you just as though we were in the middle of a forest together. And our uh, order service is going to follow this bulletin service. Friends, with that being said, to rise and body of the Spirit. Let's sing together the prayers of the
Lord of our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of the children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, and all the flocks and birds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swims the path of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's take our church rise.
for others, and for ourselves. We argue and complain. Lord Jesus Christ, fix your mind in us and remake us in your likeness. Empty us of all that hinders us from following you.
when they made the newer books. So there's a few poems, maybe about, I don't know, five more poems that they added to the newer copies of this book. So one day I decided to print out one of the poems that I wasn't in this book. And this one goes along with how I'm feeling too. Mr. Grumble Dunk's Song. Everything's wrong. Days are too long. Sunshine's too hot. Wind is too strong. Clouds are too fluffy. Grass is too green. Ground is too dusty. Sheets are too clean. Stars are too twinkly. Moon is too high. Water's too drippy. Sand is too dry. Rocks are too heavy. Feathers too light. Kids are too noisy. Shoes are too tight. Folks are too happy. Singing their songs. Why can't they see it? Everything's wrong. I think we better switch over to my other favorite. Okay, um, what should we do though? Oh, wait. I have the bulletin from today. Um, hey, on the front it says joy.
Okay, I need to call my sister and tell her that I'm happy that she also enjoyed the same book that I did, and I'm, I should be happy that I got to share it with her and she got to read all these funny poems in here. Hmm. Okay, in verse 15 it says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And Tommy, I actually thought of you. I'm glad you're here. And I have, I brought something, a costume that you wore one time, so I feel like maybe I should put it on because, you know, if I want to shine like stars in the sky, you know, Tommy, remember wearing this costume? Do you think it'll fit me? Let me try it. <laughs> That's not working. Wait, let me try it. I, okay, on second thought, I'm not even sure that that first means that. Does it mean that I need to put on a star costume? Oh, let me read that again. <laughs> okay, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Well, I think that we need to show God, and we need to show God to the whole world. That's what that means. We need to imitate Jesus, just like we practiced last week with our game. And we need to love others. That's how we can shine, not putting on a star costume. Okay, now I'm in the mood for, I think, a better poem here. Can I read you one more poem here? I, I think this one will be better. This one is called Hug O War. I will not play at Tug O War. I'd rather play at Hug O War, where everyone hugs instead of tugs, where everyone giggles and rolls on the rug, where everyone kisses and everyone grins and everyone cuddles and everyone wins. That was more our speed for this morning. Friends of Christ. Dear Lord, you are the light in a world full of sin. Help me to shine, help these kids to shine, help all these adults to shine your light with the words we say and the things we do. In every moment of our day, please help our attitude to be like Jesus, full of humility, love, and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So we switched things up a little bit, and we um, had a major history activity that we're going to save for another day since we're not in paradise today. But, sorry, I'm trying to find my bullets in here. But we'll do our little kids' street dismissal anyway. And if you look in the bulletin, you'll see the words in here so that you can also participate in this part. People of God, what is our prayer?
we, uh, as a church this summer, have been looking at the book of Philippians together and thinking about joy. Uh, we're going to take a small portion of Philippians to look at together this morning. So in case you are joining us uh, midstream or for the day, I'm going to be looking at uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Um, but before I do that, friends, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, today we are happy to be together with people we know and love and to be in your presence. You are our Father. Welcome us as your children. Lord, we are in a room that people built with their hands. But outside of this room, there is a world that you built with your hands. And we are grateful be also people made by your hands. And so we remember with the psalmist together this morning that all of us are welcome here. And that the squeals of children, the coos and the cries sing your praises as much as the birds in the air. And so we ask, O oh God, that this morning as we spend some time listening to the words that you have given us, that you would be with us. Lord, because we are part of a bigger family, we ask that you would also be with other family members who aren't here. We have brothers and sisters who are worshiping up the street at Fairlawn. We ask that you would be with them as they sing your praises and learn from you. We have brothers and sisters in Worcester, Romania City. We pray the same for them. And we have brothers and sisters at the river in Dallas. Jesus, even as you are here with us, also come by your spirit and be with them as they lift their hands and hearts and voices, sing and honor you. And help us now as we hear Paul's words and think about what they mean for our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. This is Paul, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of God. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering or a sacrifice of service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Friends, this is God's word. If we were in the woods, at Fairwoods, sitting out in the open, I would ask you to imagine with me that we are looking up at the sky. And if you've never been there, imagine a grassy field studded with some large oak trees, and you're sitting there, and I'm here, and behind me is a pond. 
you're looking at me and looking at the pond behind us, and there are the oak trees. And I ask you to look up at the night, at the sky, and imagine that it wasn't day, but that it was night. Much like the one that maybe William and Anna Marie might see at night. And I'd ask you, what do we see when we look at that sky in the middle of the night? We see stars. Stars scattered across the sky, standing out against the darkness. Friends, when Paul writes this, he is in prison, but with his words, he is doing something just like this with us today. Whether we are under a roof or out in the open, Paul takes us outside for a minute, and he asks us to look up for a moment at the night sky to see the stars. And he says, friends, my dear friends in Philippi and in Whitensville, whom I love and love for, you are meant to be like stars in the sky. Now, when I say we are meant to be stars, maybe you're thinking of a film like A Star is Born, or you're thinking of Simon Cowell's rating performances, or maybe you're a little bit older and you're thinking about that TV show, The Star Search. When we think of being a star, we think of being special, of being famous, getting noticed, being liked, affirmed, applauded. In our world, a star is someone who performs for a watching world. This is not what Paul means. In fact, Paul means the opposite. Paul's not talking about getting noticed by scouts for our juggling talents. He's talking about our moral life. He's talking about people who stand out for their character and their life against the inky blackness of a world that can be very violent and very, very selfish. Paul means that we are meant to be people who stand out because of the way that we spend our money and our time, because of the words that we use and the way we treat each other with them. Paul is meaning that we are people who act like children of God and who live this way whether or not someone is watching. Paul says, whether or not I can ever come back to see you again, it is my hope that you will live Jesus' life. Paul says, when I was with you, you obeyed and followed this path that I lay out for you. You lived the Christian life, but now I cannot be with you. And so in my absence, it is even more important for you to live this way, to work out your salvation with fear and trust. Now sometimes people get caught up on a verse like this. It's famously misunderstood. Paul is not meaning that our salvation is up to us. Sometimes we misunderstand this, thinking that Paul is, is saying that God is the one who gets us started in grace, and then it's up to us to make good on that grace and, and follow through, and he's going to watch and see whether or not we do it. But if you look again at this passage, uh, God is not the one who is absent in this text. Paul is. Paul is saying, look, if I were still with you, I would take responsibility for helping you to know what it means to live like stars in an inky and black and dark world. So you must take ownership and responsibility for this. Paul says, even as you obeyed in my presence, now much more in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He can't be with them in person, but that doesn't mean, my friends, that the Christian life goes on hold for us, right? Ministry and service, well, they don't stop simply because you don't have a pastor. 
Ministry and the Christian life in the same way don't start simply because you have a pastor. Paul is reminding us that the Christian life is not something we do when our leaders are looking over our shoulder. It is something that we do because we want to do it. Because it has become ours. So I imagine another scene that maybe you might see at a place like Fairwood sometime. Have you ever, have you ever watched children play in the water? Maybe it's a chilly day, and do you ever notice that children will stay in the water playing until they turn blue, and their, uh, their parents have to drag them home for dinner in a shower? They want to swim that badly. In the same way, you could imagine someone sitting at a picnic table, a empty paper plate except for one single spoonful of potato salad. And, and the child is sitting there, refusing to eat it, we're going all of the fun that they might have. My friends, if you've ever noticed this, the thing that occurs to me and to us is that so much depends on what we want to do in life. Did you ever notice this? So much depends on what we want. A child can forget hypothermia altogether for the love of water, and at the same time, a child can resist a single bite of food all day, no matter the incentive, if they don't want to eat it. And when we grow up, we're actually not so different, are we? Sure, growing up means that you learn that you have to eat potato salad. And it also means that you can't swim all day long. Growing up means that there are things that we do that we don't want to do, that we have to do. But this is not real growing up, is it? Real growing up is a lot more than this. Real growing up isn't learning to do what you don't want to do. It's learning to want different things. Growing up means learning to love for yourself the things that are good. And in the same way, being a Christian, as Paul described it for us, is not about doing the stuff that God wants us to do, even though we don't really want to. Growing up in Jesus is not about obedience. Growing up in Jesus is about wanting to obey. Which is at the heart of what Paul is trying to tell us today in this little section. Friends, who are we when no one's watching? That's the question. Who are you when no one's looking over your shoulder? Paul wants us to be people who shine like stars, not for the applause of the crowd, but simply because this is who we are. Paul doesn't want us to live like Jesus because God might be watching or because Paul might show up for a surprise visit like your boss who shows up even though he said he was off for the day. Paul wants us to live this way because we want to live this way. In other words, Paul's heart for the Philippians is the same that all of us have for our kids. That we would learn to live the life of Jesus simply because it is beautiful and we can think of nothing greater to give ourselves to. Not because we have to. And if that is true, it means that the Christian life asks a lot more of us than simply compliance. It means more than rewards and consequences. It means, well, it means a change of heart at the deepest, most profound levels. 
In other words, this is the difference that Christianity is, is meant to make in Whitensville, in our lives, in the whole world. This is what makes us shine like stars in a warped and crooked generation. So I have a question. Have, uh, have you ever tried to buy two by fours from the big orange or the big blue box store? If you have, then you know how it's possible that you can look through an entire pallet of lumber and find just one straight board. You know how difficult that is. You also know how precious that is. So here's another thing. Have you, uh, have you ever had a situation where your front end of your car goes out of alignment and you find yourself having to exert incredible effort just to go straight on the road? All the same, scripture is saying, this is us in the world. What scripture is trying to uncover for us is the root of our problems. It's not that we need to behave better, though sure that would make life easier. It's that our will, it's that our heart, our desires, the things that animate us and get us out of bed in the morning need to be aligned. We are out of joint. We are crooked. We are warped. We are oriented from day one toward things that harm us. Why? Because instinctively we will go toward anything that takes us as far away from God as possible. This is something that I think we forget or we fail to understand, or maybe we need to discover it again for the first time all over. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It is about new hearts. There's this great story, I think it's by Dorothy Sayers, in one of her books, I could not find the reference, you just have to trust me, if somebody knows, please do let me know that I got the reference wrong uh, after the fact. But the, the story goes that she's telling the story of a missionary, and this is in the United Kingdom after the war, uh, and the missionary is telling the story of going into the jungle. And it's the first time that this missionary is interacting with a tribal group of people. They've never met Christians before. He's trying to explain what Christianity is. And the chief is learning about Christianity. One day, the chief comes to the missionary and says, so let me get this straight. Um, as Christians, you're saying that God wants us to stop cannibalism. Uh, and you're saying that God wants us to stop wars of vengeance toward rival tribes. And you're saying that uh, God wants us to stop stealing other people's wives. And this is what it means to be a Christian? And the missionary says, yes, that's what it means. So the chief says, uh, well, uh, I'm too old to practice cannibalism. Uh, and I don't need another wife. Uh, I've got plenty. And I'm too frail to go to war, so then I'm a Christian already. Well, actually, wait a minute, right? My friends, we forget, maybe we've not understood that Christianity is not about upholding certain opinions. It is not about voting for certain candidates or causes or keeping the family values intact. It is about nothing short than the renovation of our fundamental desires. This is the challenge of Christianity, and that Paul is putting to us again today. Because, my friends, in our world, we want so much in life to do things that come naturally to us. 
We want to live intuitively, right? We want things to just make sense. I mean, consider how many times in a conversation we say, I don't know, it just makes sense to me. My friends, if you, if you spend five minutes with Jesus at face value and just look at the things that he says, you will see that so much of the Christian life it does not make sense. It is counterintuitive. It goes against the grain of what it seems like should come naturally to us. Jesus does not say, come to me and nurture your desires and you will find life. He says, come to me, crucify your heart, die, and you'll come alive for the first time. What? Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's teaching them and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus thinks for a second, I imagine, when he says, okay, give us our daily bread, forgive everyone, just as we have been forgiven of everyone. Do you see what he's saying at its core? We are meant to live as though every single moment of our lives, we must look to God to depend on absolutely everything. We can do nothing for ourselves. I don't live that way. And forgive even your enemies. How many times, they ask in a follow-up question, 70 times 7. Lord, increase our faith, they say. G.K. Chesterton, uh, another British author, has this famous quote that came to mind as I was thinking about this. He said this at one point. He said, the Christian ideal, this idea of being stars that stand out in the night sky, it's, it's not that it's been tried and found wanting. It's that it's been found difficult and left untried. And you see, this, this is why when we read Paul's words and we come together, whether it's Fairwoods or here or wherever we are, we cannot just talk about behavior. Because the Christian life is not about compliance with God's rules. It is about the heart underneath it. And so maybe we're asking ourselves then, who am I when no one is watching? And how would I know whether or not God is doing this kind of work in my life? Paul gives us a very simple test. He says, well, okay, how much complaining is happening? It's right there. You see it in verse 14? This is the litmus test. This is the single symptom of the extent of our changed will and heart. It's complaining. How can that be? Well, think about it. What is complaining? Complaining is the feeling of being obligated to do something you do not have the power or the desire to do. Complaining is a response of the heart and the will to demands that you cannot or will not meet. We complain when we have to do something we cannot or do not want to do. So I'm a parent, and I will confess to you that complaining is really hard for me to hear. I'm sure all of you do just fine with it. For me, I struggle, and I will tell you that most often, when I hear complaining, not that it's terribly often, uh, is, is what I'm most interested in is making the complaining stop. I just want it to go away. But have you noticed that saying stop complaining doesn't actually ever make the problem go away? It can't be you trying this. What does it do? No, instead, it just forces it underground, which is, in fact, where all of my complaints. 
But if the gospel is true, and if God's way in the world of self-emptying sacrifice does in fact lead to joy and life and energy as Paul says that it does, then complaining is a misdirected prayer. It is meant to be a prayer to God where the heart says, Lord, I neither feel myself willing or able to do what you are asking. Please change my heart until I love the things that you love. My friends, what Paul is showing us is that the Christian life is, is not just obedience. It is more about the desire to obey. And friends, only God can change that. Fortunately, that seems to be exactly the kind of thing that Paul is telling us that God is doing in this passage. Work out your salvation, Paul says, with fear and trembling. Uh, trembling, I can't do this for you. He was saying it's time for you to take ownership of it, but in the same sentence, there is no period. In the same sentence, he says, do so knowing that God is at work in you, shaping your will and your work. Which is what God is still doing in us. God is the one changing not just our behaviors, but our hearts. And God must do this work in us so that we will and do the things that he's called us to do. Friends, Christ works his will in us. So maybe you're asking yourself, why would you let him? Why would you go through all of this trouble? Why would you pray that prayer in the first place? Well, because according to Paul and Jesus, it is the path to true joy. Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, the Lord Jesus carried the cross, scorning shame. For the joy set before him, Friends, what was, the, what was Jesus thinking about when he was going to the cross? Scripture tells us he was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. He was thinking of us. And this is why, for us, we don't ever put our stock in our own obedience or our faithfulness. As much as it fluctuates, we are always putting our faith in Christ's obedience, not ours. We set our hopes on the fact that Jesus sought and followed God's will even while the whole world had turned away. And in the moments when it is dark for us and we do not want to follow through, we remember that even in the garden, in a moment of desperation, Jesus says, Lord, I don't want this. Please take this cup. Show me a different way. Is there any other way? And yet, he says, not my will be done, but yours. And what Paul is telling us is that the same power that was at work in Christ at that moment to make him able to say that is the same power that is at work in us. For Christ is the one working and willing faith in us also. Friends, what Paul is telling us is that even when the way is hard, the world is warped, we still find a struggle within ourselves. The pull, and we are pulled toward things that hurt us. Is the Lord who has given us everything that we need. Who are we when no one is looking? We are God's children. He has made it so. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, gathered here, gathered in other churches, in our community, and around the world, 
heard your gospel are coming to a place where they have given up any other hope of change in their lives or hope for the world than you and what you are doing. We understand that uh, no matter the cost and sacrifice that the Christian life brings into our lives, it, it will never go beyond the sacrifice that you have exhibited on our behalf. So Lord, even as like Paul, we are learning to let ourselves be poured out. Help us to see the fullness that we have in Christ who spared nothing and gave everything that he had for us so that we might be full of your life. Lord, we ask that you would preserve and protect us until the day of your return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Friends, I'd invite you to rise in body or in spirit. Let's respond to God together, saying, "From no fear, Christians by our love."
place under a roof or out in the open, we do so gathering with people across the world and throughout centuries who have heard the good news of Jesus and who are learning to live in uh, obedience to that. And as a reminder of our unity, we get a chance to say the ancient creed of our faith together, the Apostles' Creed. With one voice, friends, let's say, I believe in God the Father
see you at the uh, picnic.